Mondays with Mosey. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Josie. And we're Mosey. Welcome to episode five. We decided it was time to follow up our, our previous episode about identity with even more discussion about identity. So many of you are probably listening to us in your home since we're all locked up in our homes now. Why, Mike? Because of the global pandemic. There's a pandemic? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> uh, COVID-19. COVID-19. Yes. COVID-19. Oh, I... Mm, mm, mm. That? Is that the song? <laughs> no. Oh. oh. You mean the coronavirus thing? Yep. Oh, that sucks. Yes, it does. But womp, womp. lots of mosey time. It is lots of mosey time. We're together all the time. We are. Yay. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Bad stuff, too. Yeah, bad stuff. Yeah, th- this is not a joke, you guys. Yeah. I hope you are staying home, and we're going to try and get this out, like, tomorrow. So, for us, we have currently been home, doing work from home for the last two weeks. Officially, California, where we live, has been on shelter-in-place for slightly less than two weeks. I think it started Tuesday, two weeks ago, officially. Yeah, I think so. And I had been sent home... Did you guys know I'm a teacher? (laughs) (laughs) Our schools were closed in uh, Santa Clara Valley, where I teach, also known as Silicon Valley. I teach in East San Jose, and our schools were ordered closed. We found out at lunchtime on Friday the 13th, so we had two classes left to go and quickly figure out what kind of stuff to grab and take home from our classroom and clear off counters, etc., because we were told our rooms were going to be disinfected um, and we would not be allowed in until we were allowed back Mm -hmm. in, but... They originally told us three weeks, and at this point it's been officially extended through March, excuse me, May 1st, meaning we're closed through May 1st and we're supposed to go back May 4th, but we don't actually know at all if that's really going to happen or not. Yeah, and I've been working from home, even though I'm in an industry that's considered essential business, I work in security, Mm -hmm. but I basically manage security officers from afar mostly. A lot of them are at different sites that I've never even been to. Yeah. So I can do that easily from home. So we're actually currently recording from our work desks. Yeah. Yeah. It's now our work desks. If if you hear a bell in the background or a kind of a rustling, that's from our brand new pod kitten who we adopted. Yeah. Since uh, you all heard the news of when we lost Catty. Yeah. We went a few weeks with only Abby, our one kitty. But Abby was lonely. She was. So we got a new kitten for yeah. us and for Abby. And now Abby stresses out about it. <laughs> Poor Abby. Yeah. Yeah, we were really thinking about her being alone while we were gone, which, of course, now we're here all the freaking time. Poor Abby. <laughs> hmm. And she was being extra affectionate when we would come home, so we could just tell that she had been lonely during the day. So Yeah. We adopted Mira on February 28th, two days after my birthday. Mm-hmm. And she had been a feral kitty. We got her from a, what do you call those? A rescue yeah, organization. Yeah, a rescue. And they had estimated that she was about four weeks, but when we took her Months. to... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Months. <laughs> Time matters. Uh, when we took her to see a vet, the vet inspected her and examined her and said, based on her teeth, that they thought she was more like six or six and a half months. And that's been a couple weeks so she's probably seven-ish months now yeah Yeah, six or seven yeah and she's very very active most of the time so she'll probably be the loudest cat noises that you hear in the background and we're not going to edit that out 
Except that wrestling was just Abby climbing into a box, oh. an Amazon box that we yeah. received today. Yeah, we got cushions for these chairs that are super hard that we've been sitting at to do our work. <laughs> and it's been negatively impacting our spinal health. So we're trying to make the best of it. Yeah. And the but kitty's got The bell got is Mira. The bell is Mira. Yeah. So we're, we're here and our housemates here. What's going on? Bye. Okay. Um, other impacts from this whole COVID nonsense. Yeah. You think so... it's a hoax, Mike? It's really... huh? Just illness a hoax? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. No. But yeah. Um, so another bit of news we announced in a recent episode was that we're getting married. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. But we had to delay it. Well, kind of. I mean, we're still going to get married. We are. Same day. Yeah. We have an efficient who's willing to meet with us and stand at least six feet away from us. <laughs> and we have some <laughs> local friends who are as close as family and they're going to be our witnesses. Yeah. They may be standing 10 feet away. We don't know yet. Yeah. But... We still have three weeks from tomorrow to figure this out. I mean, it's really likely that this will have blown over and we can just reopen the economy so oh yeah right yeah according to our dear leader yeah although apparently a surge is coming here in our area okay so this is a super depressing topic but um, what i was saying is that the big celebration will be later yes but we We're will still officially... have a wedding for yeah. all of our family and friends yeah people for, that have to travel to get here and so on but that's going to be later on we're going to celebrate when we can when coronavirus is over and we can all move about the country again yeah we'll send out a, a streaming video of our official small ceremony to our friends and family so that they can feel like they were there but this big thing that we've been looking forward to for the past couple months and preparing stuff yeah it's basically all we've been doing outside of work yeah and then all of a sudden <laughs> uh, screeched to a halt yeah and our back corner of our living room is still filled up with all kinds of stuff for that. And we we just don't know. We don't know how much of that we're going to be able to use for our little ceremony. But a little glimmer of hope is just thinking now about what we can do and rolling with the punches. And, you know, the good news is I'm a Pisces. So that means that I'm mutable water, which for those of you who aren't astrology woo-woo nerds, that just means that I can roll with the punches and, and change with the, with the changes. But that's all fake or whatever. <laughs> but the reality is that's kind of how I am. So... You fit the mold, even if the mold yeah. is based on pseudo Whatever. stuff. Yeah. Anyway, we're we're gonna adapt. We we already have our rings. We have our outfits. We have shoes. Yeah. As Mike said, we have an efficient. We have a location, and uh, we have our what do you call that? That piece of paper, license. License. Our yes. license. Did I mention rings? We have rings. We have rings. So yeah, we're good to go. And it expires. That paper expires. So we gotta do the thing. Yes. Anyway, enough about that. Should we get on to our identity part two? Yeah. So we were talking about getting married. We were. And that segues naturally into the identity aspect of someone's relationship status. Yeah. I think their marriage and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And last episode, we did talk about this a bit. We were talking about name changes and we kind of got excited and got off on a tangent about it. And we never did get around to the part about what we eventually decided. As I mentioned, I had kind of taken a little online, not quite poll, but asked for some feedback from the people and had so much really fascinating opinions. The people? Is that the, like the, the mysterious pe- they? Yes. <laughs> they said that uh, you don't want to be 
You don't want to like take someone's name so that you are their possession, so that you're an object, and you don't want to give up your sense of self, especially for us, for people who have lived a good chunk of life already. Yep. But we but... thought of something. Yeah, you and, did. And it turned yeah. out that there was a law passed not super long ago in California. Called 07 the... or something? Something like that. Anyway, after several of my friends got married, so this wasn't a law when they did. Yeah. It was called the Naming Equity Act or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But basically what it says is just as easily when you're getting your marriage license, which we went through a couple weeks Mm -hmm. ago, just as easily as taking your partner's last name, you can take their last name as a second non-hyphenated middle name. Yes. Yes. So you can change your, in California, if you want to change your first name, you have to do that separately. Right. With just a, a name change mm-hmm. case in the courts. Yeah. But with marriage, you can change your middle name and or your last name. And you can use any combination of, or portion of the existing names. Yeah, you can't just scramble the letters. You can use contiguous you can't make chunks. make up something out of whole cloth, which no. some people, I think, in some places people, do. People do it, but I, but it's not but, part of the marriage license yeah. process. So it's like you said, it's a name change. So like, separate. technically, we could become Borgtons yeah. officially yeah. because Borg and then Ton is uh-huh. part of your name. Right. So that would be legal. Right, but that would be silly. It'd be silly. <laughs> it's just such a silly, cartoony-sounding name. Yeah. We like it, but not for legal purposes. <laughs> so we're both keeping our last names. We are. But our middle names. Yes. Which we're also keeping our existing middle names. We are. We're giving nothing up. But we're adding second words to our middle names. We are augmenting our middle names. Which are each other's last names. Yeah. So I'm going to be Michael Allen Burton Borg. Sweet. You're going to be a Burton. Yeah. And a Borg. And you're going to be... Joselyn Grace Borg Burton. Yay! I'm being assimilated. Yes. And yet retaining my identity. You are becoming part of the collective. How cool is that? (laughs) Yeah. So that's what we came up with, and it's official now because it's on our marriage license. That'll be the new Mosey identity. Yes. We're going to have new names that we already have. Mosey identity part two. Electric Boogaloo. Burton. (laughs) (laughs) That was not a good joke. All right. Okay. Anyway, that's what we wanted to say about about that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So last time we talked about a whole different as a bunch of acts. First day, new tongue. That's not a COVID um, symptom, right? Gibberish. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking in tongues. Phew. All right. Anyway, last time we talked about a whole bunch of different stuff as subtopics or aspects of identity, and there's just so many. It's such a huge topic. So going down my list here and we just did a brain dump onto a spreadsheet a lot of these are interesting let me see what to pick that's a lovely face thank you i think everybody will appreciate it out there in podcast world Uh, i'm just going to jump in on changeable identifiers so often when we think about identity we think about things that are fixed Mm -hmm. um i mean we started out talking about our name and that's our names that we are born with or given assigned at birth are not names that we choose and some people later end up deciding that they don't really identify with the name they were given and change it. Others change their name on marriage. Some people will get rid of their first name when they get married and move their middle name to their first name position, et cetera, et cetera, or take something completely new. So technically your name is a changeable identifier, but it's it tends to be thought of as something fixed. Yeah. But uh, some areas that I think as kids and young people and even into adulthood we can think of as fixed are... Fitness. So I wanted to talk about fitness because as kids, I'm thinking of a friend that I grew up with 
who I met in middle school and continued to know throughout college and beyond. And when he was young, when we met in seventh grade, he was a small kid, you know, skinny, short, etc. Mm-hmm. And later on in college, when I ran into him again, I almost didn't recognize him because he was not small and short. I mean, he wasn't huge, but he was regular sized and yeah. taller than me. He'd been shorter than me when we met. Anyway, I remember him referring later to P.E., which is what we call gym class in California. Some places they call it gym. But he said the P.E. stood for pecking order emphasis. Oh. And that it had been a really painful experience for him in middle school and high school, being in mostly boys P.E. classes. And I, you know, later some of them are co-ed. I took a running class that I think think was co-ed. Now that I think about it, I don't think it was. So take it back. But very often as kids, other people who are struggling which is not how we see it at the time, but people who are struggling with whatever, you know, maybe abuse at home or neglect or other serious things, they will go to school and where the pool of people are that they can pick on and pass on their suffering by putting other people down. And when we are insulted as kids, when one person starts it, it it can be a parent, it can be a sibling, it can be a, a kid at school, it can be a teacher. I mean, many of these things seem unconscionable, but that's often what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, others will grab onto it. They'll see a weakness and they will say, I can grab this and and try to take it as my own strength that I'm damaging this person. In fact, we see this right now in our country's leadership, unfortunately. Yeah. But kids will believe what other people tell them about them, especially when it's repeated. Kids usually don't have the inner resilience to think of themselves as, as stronger. I mean, some do, but it's, it's a rare trait in a kid. It's more something you're going to mm-hmm. maybe develop as an adult. But insults... So for me as a kid, I have pictures of myself and I remember myself up until about age five where I was your typical skinny little kid. And then starting around maybe age seven or eight, I started to get a little chubbier. And I know my mom would show me pictures of herself and tell me that she started to get chubby around that age. And that's just how her body changed. And that she would get teased. Uh In fact, I remember a poem that she told me that a kid wrote on something and gave to her at one point. And I'm going to try and quote it and my mom will... Correct me if I'm wrong, but he said to her, if you think that you are fat, always rely on your baseball bat. (laughs) Right? Yeah, nice. And maybe he thought that was a pleasant thing to tell a person. But if you have grown up female in the United States, you know how much pressure we have to be thin and to look a certain way. For people who are born with more melanin in their skin, oftentimes the message that they receive is that darker skin is incorrect and they need Uh to bleach it or stay out of the sun or wear heavy makeup or, you know, or just feel bad. Unless it's intentionally obtained darker skin. Sure. If you start out with white skin, then you're already powerful, right? But that insults can just be so internalized and a person, and I, I can only speak for myself being female, but I've seen this and heard this from so many women and younger girls that when we look in a mirror or we see pictures of ourselves, we are repeating all the insults that have been fed to us. Mm. And... For me, definitely, I got a lot of them from my own family. And I'm not, if you are my family and you're listening now, I'm not blaming you for anything. This was a product of our culture, especially in the 1980s when I was a kid, that we were expected to be very thin. And if you had a kid or a sibling who didn't look the way that our culture said they were supposed to look, then maybe that reflected badly on you. And it maybe... was a shallow time, for sure. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, some people had an idea that if you told someone that they were ugly or that they were not good enough, that that was going to motivate them to Mm -hmm. to make a change and that that was helpful. Yeah. So I got that a lot from my own family, but certainly from classmates and indirectly from PE teachers. 
they would do things like weigh kids and I don't remember if they shared it with other people, but it seemed mm. like maybe in the early times they did, they would have the presidential physical fitness awards and you'd have to uh -huh. go through these things and you were basically required to be able to do so many push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and run a, you know, how fast of a mile and like I could do well in so many things in school and I just didn't know or didn't feel that I had the power to do those things. And so, right. to, so to me growing up, I felt like this was not a changeable fact about myself, that it was a, a fact that I was not fit. And ironically, I rode my bike all the time. I roller skated. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in middle school, we had a basketball hoop installed on the front of our garage and I would go out and shoot baskets by myself all the time. We had a, um, what do you call that thing that you hit with your hand and it goes around the <laughs> uh, tetherball. tetherball. We had a tetherball in the backyard. And I would go out and hit that, just hit the heck out of that tetherball. And I know a lot of what I was doing was taking out frustrations mm -hmm. on the tetherball. But when we had a, a volleyball unit in PE in middle school and we did the overhand serve, I had a friend who would say that I would smack that ball to Mexico. It would go out on the other side of the court. And mm -hmm. later on, I would try and serve overhand over the court and I would hit the net. So um. I realized later it was the tetherball. So I was really strong in many ways. I was certainly getting exercise. I rode my bike to school and back up hills and et cetera, et cetera. And I still got a constant message that I wasn't fit. I'm even remembering sixth grade now, fifth and sixth grade in elementary school, I would play on the bars. And I mean, that's gymnastic stuff. You would flip yeah. and twirl and it took all kinds of strength to do that, mm -hmm. but it was for fun. And so in PE class, I was not good enough. I couldn't do the things that we were expected to do. I was the kid who was picked last for all the teams. And, right. and so the message that I very much received was I was not an athlete. And that I could not do this and I could not do that. And, hey, did you know that that's actually a changeable thing for most people? Mm -hmm. um, unless you have a... I didn't a... know then. But... <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, I had some similar issues, mm -hmm. except for me it was, as a male, it was because I was too skinny. Right. And, and a girl would have loved that. You know, a girl would have come for that. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, it was the opposite problem. Mm -hmm. I was puny, you mm -hmm. know, so to speak. I was rail thin mm -hmm. and I later had a growth spurt, mm -hmm. growth spurt, excuse me, but I was shorter than a lot of the kids for much of school and just, you know, weighed nothing compared mm -hmm. to the bigger boys. So yeah, but similar result. Like mm -hmm. I was considered not unfit, but just not suitable for sports mm -hmm. or, you know, to be the quote virile kid mm -hmm. that later on you know in high school and whatever that the girls would be into mm -hmm. so did you find similarly to my friend that pe was a place for pecking order emphasis or was it other yeah in a way mm -hmm. i mean i wasn't traumatized by pe class mm -hmm. much like i know that some kids yeah are and were but i very much noticed it mm -hmm. i was Usually not the last kid picked, mm -hmm. but I was one of the few last. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when I ever taught PE in elementary and briefly in middle school, I just never really wanted to have kids pick teams. There's so many other ways to do that. But to yeah. see, like, you're the strongest kid, you're the team captain, now you choose your best friends and make sure not to choose that kid because nobody likes them and this is the time to make them feel like crap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not... Not cool. I mean, I've got tribalism down here as a subtopic, but I think we want to probably 
save that for its own episode. It's such a huge topic. But man, PE and and tribes. Yeah. <laughs> and your little miniature Lord of the Flies type yeah. setups. I mean, yeah. competitiveness can be a good thing if not taken to the extreme. You know, to just to strive to mm-hmm. be better. It, especially if it's only against yourself, you know, against right. your former record or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, PE class just seems to encourage taking it too seriously. Yeah. I mean, as an adult and as a teacher, did you know I'm a teacher? <laughs> I totally get it. I get the, the need for physical education for kids to be taught how to use their bodies, um, how to be fit, how to play different sports so that you just know what's part of the mainstream culture that you're a part of. Yeah. I mean, it even impacts getting references in literature, which can impact students' test scores. Because if you're reading about, Mm -hmm. you know, baseball or something and you don't know how that works and then you've got questions to answer, there's so much that goes into assumptions on writers of tests about what people know. So these things matter so that you can have conversations with other people, etc. I think we've become such a fearful society over the last few decades and parents don't want to let their kids go outside without totally knowing exactly where they are at every moment. And so for a lot of kids, access to physical activity on a healthy level is, is tougher. But now we have all these apps and devices and things that people wear that help us to track what we're doing. Yeah. I then, I wonder about things like eating disorders that kids are certainly prone to and still adults, but I know one of the characteristics of anorexia can be exercising to an extreme. And I'm sitting here noticing we're checking our Apple watches and recognizing that we have a goal set for us for a daily amount of movement. And Mm -hmm. since we are on shelter in place, We're stuck in the house more than when I'm at work and walking around my classroom, walking around campus, back and forth to the staff room, the restroom, etc. I would normally get half my move goal easily before I came home, maybe five-eighths of it. And now I'm, right now it's seven o'clock in the evening. We've got half hour less of daylight left and I have fewer than 300 active calories towards my 800 calorie move goal. And I'm sitting here like obsessing about this because I've got to maintain my move streak yeah, but for me, close I'm, those rings. Yeah, I'm not at risk of a disorder with this. I don't think. I I don't feel like I'm at an unhealthy extreme of getting too much exercise. Although yesterday we accidentally went for a 20 mile bike ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the day Oops. before it was 14. 13. 13. Yeah, and part of that was. A... And in the morning yesterday, I was like, it's gonna be more than the day before. <laughs> you were thinking that in the morning. Yeah, remember I asked you. You said, oh, round trip, it'll be a little more than we did yesterday. But that was the afternoon. And I said, I I, I think I said, oh, it's going to be more? Yeah. And you said, "Uh, not much more. Not much, you know, because we went slow because so much of it was on this rugged dirt trail that we hadn't known. Anyway, we digress. But the point here is that both of us discovered later in our adulthood that, guess what? We can be athletes, in fact. Um, That's right. And we can identify as athletes. For me, it took, I'm trying to think how old I was. I think I was about 35 years old when a friend of mine had done team and training. Go team. And she had started out on the walk team, walking marathons, training for and walking marathons. And she had done one in Alaska. And this is a really good friend of mine. And we had been on road trips together. In fact, we'd lived together. I grew up with her. But she did 
team in training, I think first by herself and then her husband joined the next season. Anyway, not important. But what I saw from her is that I always knew that I could walk a lot. I could walk any distance. I have stamina. I -hmm. just don't have speed physically. I'm not a fast person. And so, you know, I was shamed as in PE in high school, we were supposed to be able to run a 12 minute mile or faster. And I never could. I took a running class for PE and I could not get a 12 minute mile. But one day we were asked, we were challenged to try and walk a 15 minute mile. And I was the only one who could out of the entire class. So uh that's right. So I knew at that point, and I think I knew before then that for me, walking is that's just easy. You just put one foot in front of the other and I can walk. You know, I figured I could walk forever, whatever. Yeah. And so when I learned that you can walk a marathon, and for those of you who don't know, that's 26.2 miles. I decided I wanted to give it a try. And so I joined team in training. I'm making a weird face because I'm trying to remember when. I want to say 2005, but I feel like I'm pulling that out of the air. No, it was earlier than that. 2005 is when I bought my condo. So 2003 or four. Anyway, at that point I had been walking for stress relief already, often four to six miles, I think four to five miles, multiple times a week. And um, so I joined the team and I already had that basic level of fitness. And we had to get up to eventually 26.2 to do a whole marathon. And I I knew when I joined the team that I could do it. So I had that. Man, I hope that rustling isn't super, super, super loud. It sure sounds loud in my headphones. Sorry, guys. That is one active kitty. Okay, so I did the same thing. So I mean, Mike has not exactly the same thing, but around the same age, I started running for yeah. fitness, and I yeah. always hated running. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, well, I was running is asked painful. to do it. I yeah. was like, oh, this yeah, sucks. why would you do that? But yeah, I learned to love it and do races and all that. Yeah, but I know the real reason that you liked running. Why? The bling. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Medals are awesome. Yeah. So I discovered that with my first season training for a marathon, I was training for the Mayor's Midnight Sun Marathon in Anchorage, Alaska, which is not at midnight. It's just close to the summer solstice. And um, as part of our training, we were signed up for the Santa Cruz Half Marathon, which is in April and our race was in June. And it was a really hot day and it was a really tough race. But at the end, you get a medal. And I believe for that race that year, we got a really cool, like a sand dollar shell was the medal Uh or maybe there were shells on the thing anyway when we got the full marathon medal it was just this thing where i didn't really realize when i signed up to race that i was going to get this amazing medal that just felt like such an achievement and i had spent a bunch of money on training gear and was like well i guess i have to keep doing this there are parts of identity that are things that that we get as kids basically you know i am a burden i am a girl i am uh, blonde when I was a kid, right, et cetera, et cetera, these things. Yeah. Eventually, I'm a reader. You know, I learned to read, so it can be based on skills, acquired skills, acquired knowledge. I know my uh, times tables, and all these things build us up and give us a sense of self, but eventually we start to go beyond the basics. Like little kids in elementary school, when you try to make a friend, it's generally pretty easy. Like, oh, you like pizza? I like pizza. Cool. Yeah. Do you like soccer? I like soccer. Do you want to play Foursquare? You know, these are all things that little kids have in common. Uh-huh. But eventually we start to differentiate. And a lot of that happens, I'm saying from my experience and from, you know, my years of studying psychology in college. I took four, I took four yeah. classes in college on psychology, unintentionally. <laughs> Part of it was the process of becoming a teacher. The developmental process of, of a human being, there are stages that we go through, and a lot of them are identity-based. And when kids are 
entering into later childhood, early adolescence, they start to differentiate. And it's things like you'll see kids who are wearing uniforms at school, if that's a requirement, they'll start to experiment with crazy hairstyles, you know, different colors or mohawks or a giant afro seam up how long they can grow their hair. Uh-huh. Boys, when they start to grow facial hair, some of them will just be like, I'm just going to let it grow and see what happens to my face. And uh, others will try out crazy shoes and shoelaces. And oftentimes it's things like, I'm trying to rebel against what I've been told to be. You know, a girl has been encouraged to grow right. her hair past her waist or something, and now she's going to cut it super short or shave it on one side or whatever. But I think as we start to develop fears about things or stronger ideas and opinions, especially in adolescence, um, is when this happens, that we start to embrace things and shun things. And it can be very much motivated by rebelling against our families or um, what roles we're being told, what we should and shouldn't do, things that we feel like are oppressive to us or even abusive. Mm-hmm. So we can push back against that. And so for me as a kid, I grew up around my parents who were hippies and their friends who were pretty loose about, let's just say they were quite liberal and yeah. more, had gone through the 60s. And so for me, I had a strong sense of I don't want to do any drugs ever. I don't ever want to smoke anything ever. I was afraid of alcohol. I was had a fear that genetically I probably had an addictive personality. And in right. school, when we would study things about the dangers of drugs and alcohol, et cetera, to me, I took that really seriously. And it in was the beginning of the just say no era as well. Yeah, I think I I don't think that I was particularly influenced by that. There was a defining moment for me when I was a seventh grader, and I feel like I've said this in a different episode, but I'm not sure. Anyway, an eighth grader died. Mm. And she had been, I didn't, I don't think she was in any of my classes. I might've met her. I think I knew who she was. And we were told that she had gone to a party over the weekend and our school was in Capitola, which is a beach town. And she'd gone to a party and there was drinking and she's an eighth grader. And to me, that was shocking. Like, what are you doing drinking alcohol as an eighth grader? You're not even close to 21. I mean, yeah, nowhere near. What are you doing? And there had been drinking. And at one point, her friends decided to go down to the beach, and she had fallen asleep or passed out. And apparently, she had fallen asleep or passed out on her back. And her friends went down to the beach, and when they came back, she had vomited and suffocated in her own vomit. Yikes. And so for me as a seventh grader to learn that this could be a consequence of using a substance that you're legally not allowed, and maybe this is why, Uh to me, it was a very strong message of don't do this. But I also just felt like looking at... The adults in my family, you know, parents or, or grandparents or, you know, aunts, uncles, whoever, that potentially I could have had a genetic predisposition towards addictive personality. So yeah, I figured, I, you know, even stuff as, as simple as coffee, I was like, I'm not touching that because why would you acquire, number one, an expensive habit, number mm-hmm. two, can cause health problems, number three, you don't do it now, so why would you need it? Like, yeah, and that's you, how I always was too. Like, it's one thing if you already know something and love it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always had a sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm addicted to sugar or mm-hmm. anything, but I, you know, I enjoy a nice piece of chocolate or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty much out of chocolate at this point, and so this is like emergency. I Dangerous. mean, we're on we're on shelter in place, but we have to get to the store. <laughs> but but for things I had not experienced yet, I mm-hmm. had had the same opinion as you. Like, why would I start drinking coffee? I hear about how people become dependent on right. it, and right now it tastes gross to yeah, me so as bitter. a youth. I was mm-hmm. thinking this, so why would I ever start? So I never did, yeah. and never developed that habit. Yeah, and I felt 
similar about drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. too. I do drink, but I'm not. You're super lush. <laughs> I'll have like a couple of beers a month. Yeah. Yeah. When was the last time you even had one? Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. So. But yeah, I just. I don't know. I eventually tried tried that alcohol, mm-hmm. but I've never. I mean, my my dad was a pretty good example of why not to smoke because mm-hmm. he smoked cigars, the little cigarellos that look mm-hmm. like cigarettes, all throughout my childhood and before, and he had serious health consequences from mm-hmm. that. Did he do it in your presence so that you were breathing that delightful? Yeah, air? he yeah. would. Mm-hmm. But since my parents got divorced when I was ten. After that, I wasn't around it a whole lot because okay. I just see him on weekends and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it probably did some damage from secondhand smoke, mm-hmm. but it wasn't severe. And, you know, it's been many decades since, so I don't have any after effects. But I just, I never liked the idea of it or, I mean, just the idea that he was addicted and needed to have this. Yeah. He tried to quit many times. Right. And he failed every time until he had to have an artery bypassed in his leg yeah which was the most painful event in his life Mm -hmm. it was before arthroscopic surgery became the norm which Mm -hmm. it is now so he had this big like i don't know longer than a foot i think cut on his leg to move an artery from his lower leg to his upper i think anyway yeah and he he quit from that yeah because he couldn't smoke during mm-hmm. recovery and then after that the addiction had abated a little i guess oh that's and, lucky yeah he got out of it finally mm-hmm. and now he's doing much better he's do had you... heart issues but he's he's being careful about it uh, do you know when he started smoking like how old he was i think he was he was around 18 i don't remember exactly okay. what age my Maybe both of my parents too. were were smokers for me growing up until I was 14 and it always really bothered me. I know my mom has often mentioned that she feels so guilty and the reality is for our parents when they were kids and were around smoking it was advertised on TV by doctors. Like there was no right. sense of you shouldn't do this unless it was for in my mom's case she was 19, is that right? She anyway, she was a teenager in in college. She was college age. And at her college, boys could smoke on campus and girls couldn't. Right. So for her, she and her her female friends would go smoke in the bathroom. And for me at my age now, I'm like, oh, mom, that was a feminist act. You were rebelling and, you know, right on, except poor choice. But, you know, if it wasn't publicly known at that point that it was a huge health risk... Well, except that it was. I mean, it was much much like the fossil fuels thing today. Like, the people selling it very much knew what it was doing. What? Yeah, I'm referring to the, to, keep to the people it. at the, you yeah, know, the yeah, I'm just purchasing the end of it. was there, but they right. weren't putting it out. So, yeah, my point being that they were victims of the situation, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. My dad started smoking when he was 12, and, Jeez. you know, he was a boy, so it was probably considered cool and rebellious. And Well, with my dad, the case was that he worked at a, a store. I think it was a candy store. And yet they sold cigarettes. I remember um, buying candy cigarettes in the 80s. The, yeah, now talk about how to have try and hook kids. But in his case, as a teenager, he worked at this mm-hmm. candy store. And he was he got an employee discount. Oh. So he would buy all his friends their smokes. Oh, nice guy. How to, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. 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 I mean, of course, they yeah. were begging him for it. Sure. But... Literally, the reason he started is because one day his boss pulled him aside and said, hey, you buy a lot of cigarettes for someone that I never see smoking. What's up with that? And so he started. Oh, wow. To hold up the ruse. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
<laughs> so he literally had this decades long addiction and life altering health issues mm. to cover for the fact that he was getting his friends the discount that would or meant was meant only for him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, for me, growing up in a household with smoking happening in the house and in the car, it made it really hard for me to breathe. And if I remember correctly, I had a kind of an ongoing cough my whole childhood until at least when my parents quit smoking. And it, mm-hmm. I still am really easily susceptible to sore throats specifically. So right now with the COVID outbreak, that's what's often reported as the, the first symptom. And so for me, I get a dry throat pretty easily, especially at night. And I mean, it's mm-hmm. a dry time of year. And so I am usually a hypochondriac. If that's a thing, I was raised that you're fine, suck it up. And mm-hmm. I generally was ridiculously healthy as a kid. I, I don't think I ever missed a day of middle school. And I think I complained to my grandma once that I never got sick. So I never got to miss school. <laughs> <laughs> Is that hypo or hyper? So, so hypochondriac. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hypochondriac. Yeah, they're I'm, the ones I'm that getting do it wrong. Yeah. they're sick. Yeah, so I'm out. usually hyper. You're a where yeah and so i think all across the nation and probably the world where everybody is constantly checking their symptoms i've read on facebook about people checking their temperature and i my inner hyperchondriac <laughs> <laughs> thinks that's ridiculous i do know where my fever thermometer is and i have not taken it out but i also don't feel warm and you know how we've been trying to keep up our exercise and yeah Etc. I'm trying to eat salads like I normally do. We're both good. Yeah, we we do eat a lot of processed carbs though, because mm, carbs and cheese. Yeah, carbs and cheese. <laughs> the most important food group. Yes. <laughs> In fact, that's what we just had a few minutes before we started recording. We had tortilla chips and cheese. Mm. Mm. Okay, so we're getting off topic here. Oh, things we embrace versus things that we shun. So I kind of grew up as, I don't want to say a goody two-shoes, but I was kind of a prude, I guess. I don't i don't know what other term there is. I mean, a prude seems to have other connotations, but I guess goody two-shoes. Goody two-shoes, yes. Yeah. I, I think mean, I remember my term. stepmom at one point saying that she would describe me as wholesome or... <laughs> <laughs> Or like when she was in college, if she had known me, that would have been it. Uh That was wholesome. But ironically, what happens if you take on as a huge part of your identity is that you don't do this, you don't do that, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty soon you don't do anything that other people consider fun. Mm -hmm. And I got into my early, mid, late 20s and realized I'm saying no to so many things. At that point, I was vegetarian, which I still do believe would be the best choice for me, aside from my lack of culinary prowess. Yeah, you went over this. Yeah, we've been over this. (laughs) But drugs, alcohol, and and I've got religion on the list. We've gone over this before last time that I don't necessarily think religion's a terrible thing. But, you know, having not grown up with it, it was something that I'm I'm not going to go join a church. So I did get to a point, I think it was in my mid-20s or so, where I was... I considered myself a teetotaler. I hadn't had any alcohol. I might have sipped, taken a sip of, I'm sure I did, you know, in my teens or at some point. Had a couple sips of this and that. I know my dad usually had some wine in the bottle of his wine classes when I was doing dishes and I did not want to drink it. I could just smell it. Uh-huh. Well, it tastes like wine. Yes, that is something that I discovered that these things taste like they smell. Wine tastes like wine. Beer tastes like beer. Sometime after my 21st birthday, I don't think I went and had alcohol on my 21st birthday because I just wasn't interested. I did, and I wasn't even carded. I was so annoyed. And you probably looked like you were 12. Yeah, I I looked like a baby (laughs) most of my youth. That's sad. You were so excited. For some reason, I was not carded. Mm. And we weren't, it wasn't even like an obvious 21st birthday thing. Mm. I wasn't like wearing a 
paper tiara that what? said 21 or, <laughs> or <laughs> we anything. need to get you one of those <laughs> So it wasn't it wasn't like the kind of situation where someone would look at it and go, oh well, obviously they're yeah. they're twenty one and they're they're celebrating it. It was just you know I went out to have some alcohol on my twenty first birthday because yeah, yeah. it's a rite of passage. Yeah, and you know again, me being me, I didn't go crazy. I had like a couple beers. You didn't black out from no overconsumption. No, I did not. Good job, Mike. But. I was so, first of all, shocked, and mm-hmm. second of all, disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. What's the point of having this beer? Yeah, I have not going to be carded. License here that says I can legally do this. Why aren't you asking to see it so Aww. that I can prove it? Yeah. <laughs> when I don't look twenty-one, I yeah. didn't look like I was twenty-one until I was thirty-five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm trying to think if I've consumed two whole beers in my life. I do remember going out to a pub at one point with some friends and it was, I realized for a long time that part of my issue with not wanting to consume alcohol was that I was likely to be the designated driver to begin with. Uh I never found drunk people interesting. I don't like the taste of beer. I don't like the taste of wine. I don't even like champagne, but people seem to love that stuff. I've had a couple of times where I've been to weddings probably or like New Year's Eve events where... There's been a champagne available that was like, okay, I could drink a few sips of this, but then generally yeah. I'm going to pass off the rest of my glass to whoever wants to take it. Because they're acquired tastes. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's the thing is why would I acquire something that number one, isn't good for you. Mm-hmm. Number two, doesn't taste good to begin with. So you have to acquire it and then it's going to be expensive. Right. So like, I'm going to save my money for something else. And now because I track my caloric intake every day, like I don't want to, why would I use calories for that? Yeah. And eventually what I found is that. Since I, as an adult, I've had times since then where I've been in a safe place where I felt like I wasn't going to have to drive home, not knowing if I was safe or not. Like, that's something I, how am I supposed to tell that I'm ready to go? Am I going to be kidding myself and drive unsafely? Uh-huh. So I've had a few, a few situations where I've been at overnights or had other people who could drive where I've had a few beverages. And I just, all I find is that number one, it makes me sleepy and I'm really good at being sleepy already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired a lot, so... I don't really need help with that. I, I don't see the drop. I have to explain how a show ends or a movie oh, to you yeah. <laughs> if we watch it at home. <laughs> um, sometimes so, even in the theater. Sometimes in the theater. Yeah. And there was another piece of it. I knocked it out of your head. Yeah. Oh, so the other piece is, did we mention before, we mentioned before that I've had some visions of things. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this game that is a role-playing game that I've played at conventions and such with friends called Werewolves. And if you don't know the game, it's like this game called Mafia. And if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it to you. Gosh. <laughs> but basically there's the it's good fun. Yeah. There's the good guys and there's the bad guys and the bad guys know who the other bad guys are and they team up to damage the good guys and the good guys have to try and figure out who the bad guys are. So that's it. Yeah. And it took me a couple of years of playing this, you know, a couple times a year to discover that I can read tells. And I was playing with a group of people from Los Angeles where I don't live. And like I said, I would visit there like once a year for their annual gathering. And when I first tried playing this game, it was just like people seemed to be randomly trying to figure stuff out with no input. And eventually I saw that people were looking to see how people behaved. What they were really looking for was people's tells. And right. Eventually, I discovered that I could read tells. And I used to be a, quite a good poker player. And maybe part of that was that I could read tells. But I think I was just good at the card game and had a good poker face. Mm-hmm. But later years, when I might have an alcoholic beverage or two, I could not read tells. 
my ability to pick up on stuff. I mentioned that I mentioned visions because I had a friend once who she was the werewolf. She was one of the bad guys and there's a team of them. And I'm looking around the circle of people and I just, I stopped at her face because she's a werewolf. It's plain as day. It's written <laughs> on her face. <laughs> and she asked me later, how could you tell? And all I could say was your face was gray. Like, but it wasn't gray, like, but it was. And I, mm. anyway, I discovered that having alcohol just killed that. And I've yeah. heard from people who claim to have psychic abilities or to, you know, who see ghosts or call themselves a psychic medium. Here comes Kitty. That they will often self-medicate with alcohol to make that stop. That if they are, you know, constantly being literally haunted by spirits everywhere they go, that they learned early on that they can just drink or do drugs and that that'll go away. That'll, yeah, it'll quiet that down. And for me, I just asked when I was a little kid, I guess we went over this on the haunt Mm -hmm. episode. I asked very strongly, please do not ever show me this. I don't want to see it. I'm terrified of this, but I will still pick up on stuff. And so when I discovered that just a little bit of alcohol made it so that I lost an ability that I have, I'd like... No, forget that. Like, to me, that makes that so much less interesting. So this has become the episode about why Josie doesn't drink. (laughs) (laughs) So stuff that we embrace is also a big part of our identity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to invite Mike to talk. Do you want to talk about the cosplay thing? Because that's something that we really enjoy. Yeah. All right. So that is an aspect of identity. So cosplay. Yeah, cosplay. Costuming, uh-huh. wearing of costumes for fun outside of Halloween, basically. <laughs> well, it, it, Halloween counts. But yeah, anyway, it does, this, it this does. is something that both of us embrace. And when we met each other, when we were forcefully introduced, <laughs> <laughs> we did not know that it was something we had in common. Yeah, but it's fun to how this relates to identity is that you're putting on an identity. Right. You're assuming a specific identity. You're changing your mm-hmm. identity. Yeah, you're trying you're trying on another outward identity. appearance, but also behavior because mm-hmm. you'll behave like the character mm-hmm. that you're dressing up as. Yeah, and, and sitting here thinking about this when I've done acting as a kid, I went to a school for a while that did a lot of theater and had some other theatrical experiences and when you play a a role as an actor, you are also stepping into an identity and that can be really fun yeah to uh, especially if your own identity has a lot of pain as you know associated with it if you've been bullied and it's interesting because with cosplay it's almost more like a melding of yourself and this other identity Mm -hmm. more than like acting is literally behaving as if you were someone else right and i'm not good at that well and you can do that without a costume too yeah 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 but just your skin as a costume. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm no good at acting. Uh-huh. I've tried. I'm, I just don't have that skill. Mm-hmm. And although you can learn most skills, I haven't had mm-hmm. success with have that. Have you taken improv classes? Uh, no, just like mm-hmm. drama classes uh-huh. in high school and stuff. Yeah. I haven't taken okay. anything professionally or as an well, adult. Well, I mean, that's... But... I mean, in high school classes... They I also just... Yeah. yeah. I also just learned that I don't want to pursue that. Yeah. Because I'm not starting off from a place where I feel like I can even improve. But you have been a an extra. I have. I've been an extra You're in movies. A very famous extra. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because extras are not actors. At least some are not. Mm-hmm. I, I know that a lot of extras would consider themselves as to be actors. Mm-hmm. But the kind of extra work I've done is be a living prop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm in the background. The absolute extent of the, quote, acting that I would be doing is like a wave or a smile. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
but mostly I'm just, you know, dressed a certain way, holding something maybe, you know, mm-hmm. in some movies I've been a military guy mm-hmm. holding a gun, okay, that kind of thing. But, but it's still not... could probably just be Mike Borg just in another place in time. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, what if I had gone into the military? Sure, so you're then not... Then I would be this guy. <laughs> so it's not really a different identity in that sense. It's... Right. Anyway. But cosplay is, like I say, it's kind of a a melding of yourself and something else because rarely is a cosplay intended to be as precise of a performance as acting Mm -hmm. it's it's more homage well and you you step in and out of the character like you'll you'll wear the costume the entire time that you're wearing the costume but it's more like if someone comes up to you and, and tries to interact with you, then you're like, oh, let me put on this persona. But in the rest of the time, you know, you're wearing your costume to work right. and you're at your computer and you're Mike Borg, head of global security, and it, and it, <laughs> dressed as the Borg. Yeah. And cosplay can be much more whimsical, mm-hmm. too. Like, I mean, there can be whimsical acting, of course, in comedy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But with cosplay, you can make a joke out of the whole thing. Like, for example, one time you and I went to a... a Comic convention yeah. as Katniss and Peta. We did. Except you were catnip, mm-hmm. and you were dressed as a bag of catnip. I was. <laughs> and I and was not a very convincing one. I was that. <laughs> Peta, yeah. but I was Peta bread. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we were super dorky yeah. about it. Well, that came from and a meme, didn't it? Yeah, yeah I yeah. think so. And yeah. people totally got it. Yeah. You know, some did, not yeah. everyone. Nerds. We got some weird yeah. looks. Yeah. But some looked at us, and were like. Ha, that's funny. Yeah. That was about the extent <laughs> yeah, we, of it, too. Yeah, we got like a whole ha. Yeah. Not even a ha ha. Yeah. They were not epic costumes. <laughs> yeah. But they were fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Cosplay is just fun. Yeah. And it's, you can sort of step out of yourself, but not fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I, for me, it really is Halloween based when I think of cosplay. But I, there's also the aspect of, like when I was in middle school and we would have spirit week and you were each day you were supposed to dress up as something else. And my this middle school where I teach, they've been doing that a lot this year. Um, As an adult, I'm not as titillated by the concept as when I was a kid, but as a kid, there's so much of a need to be accepted by your peers. And when given a cosplay opportunity, you can step up and then people, especially adolescents, they will really react to something. Uh You know, adults are just like, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Or that's dumb. (laughs) Or no, acknowledgement whatsoever of your you know full harry potter robes (laughs) (laughs) but kids really get into it and so for me when my own outward persona my physical identity was not perceived as best pleasing even acceptable often to have a chance to put on a costume was let me see how well i can do this but just the joy of stepping into something like yeah they wouldn't do it today but there was an opposite gender day at school and I wore yeah, my I remember those. Yeah, I wore one of my dad's sport coats, and I had a he had a, like a can't think what they're called those I don't like know newsboy if my hats. Ever did that? I I didn't do it yeah. myself, but I had heard of them. And I probably had a shirt and tie underneath or something, and I just I felt so cool that I you know wore this thing. And there might have been awards, and maybe I got one or something. But I I think that same year for Halloween, I dressed up as an old lady, which is also now today like really. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I, you know, had the whole get up and, and people just, I don't know if people didn't recognize me. I, I really felt like they didn't. I enjoyed experimenting with makeup at that time. And I would get like the Halloween makeup kits and draw wrinkles or, uh-huh. or um, blood or whatever on my face. And it was just so much fun for me to play with. So when I dressed up as an old lady, I drew all these wrinkles on my face and right. had a, 
a wig and I was told to wear nylons that you roll down and, you know, this frumpy house dress <laughs> kind of thing. And yeah. people were like, it's an old lady. And it, it was just so much more satisfying than the years when I was trying to figure out what to wear for Halloween. And I would eventually come up with some nebulous costume idea where <laughs> you'd show up at school and people would be like, what are you supposed to be? Yeah. And then you're just like, really? After all this effort, yeah. you're going to say that to me. I'm Red Riding Hood. Duh. So when you see a girl or a woman dressing as Red Riding Hood, the reason is because people don't say, what are you supposed to be? <laughs> so you're saying that's why there's tropes in cosplay. Like there's frequent themes, uh-huh. common themes that yeah. come up over and over Yeah. because they're definitely going to be recognized. Yeah. Well, that's my experience anyway. Yeah. No, to that some makes extent. sense. And today it's if you're a woman, you're supposed to be sexy SpongeBob or... <laughs> 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 what was the, the Walking Dead character that we saw that was the feminized version of the male, like the cop or something? I don't watch that oh, show. Oh, but... Rick. The yeah, cop. and they had yeah. the, a woman, and it was like the sexy one, but sexy it was a Sexy version woman. of female Rick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, what I don't is up? remember that specific. I do. I was it one it. of those um, Halloween Superstore places? Yeah. Like, what is up with modern yeah. cosplay well, yeah, creators? You go to the Halloween Superstore, and every costume has a, quote, sexy version. Yeah, it's the female version. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, it's hilarious. Not during this particular uh-huh. world illness, but... One of the previous ones, I don't remember if it was SARS or... Oh my God, how many people what? are going to go as COVID-19 this year <laughs> if Halloween is not yeah. canceled? Yeah, we... but what I was going to mention is during one of the previous incidents that was less severe than this, there was, it was around Halloween time, I think, or shortly before. And so the costume companies quickly came up with sexy lab worker. Oh, Do you remember that one? No, and but it was... that's... It was like Super a mask disturbing. or something dumb uh-huh. and like a maybe an open lab coat or whatever, mm-hmm. but over completely flesh revealing clothing. Underneath. So is this like, like the, the sexy female astronaut who does not have any protective gear? Right. Yeah. yeah the yeah. astronaut where it's just a helmet yeah. and a, a crop top. A, a mini skirt. <laughs> <and> a skirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the Ivanka Trump um, trope where she's like being a chemist and she's not wearing any of the correct protective gear or yes. like, yeah. But, yeah. you know, so hot. Yeah, they did. I remember they did a photo shoot of something similar with uh, the female member of the Mythbusters, the original crew. They did a, some magazine did a shoot with her really? in a lab with a lab coat. And she agreed to and that? I get, yeah, I guess. Oh, disappointed. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like bikini level, uh-huh. but it was definitely a lot skimpier than lab coat and full coverage pants. and. <laughs> yeah, so this, this is super annoying that men are allowed to be nerds and, you know, be totally dorky and cover up and be scientists but a woman she has to be like the sexy secretary version of a scientist yeah. in order for it to be acceptable yeah because if she's a nerd then she is not cool it's like that that asian chick from the star wars uh, who got so much oh, bullying yeah Kelly Marie Tran. yeah yeah just not sexy enough for the all the super homely lame white boys was at it home. that or was it just racism because she's of asian descent because a lot of it was you're like, allowed to be how a... do they have Asians in Star Wars? No, but it's you're allowed to be an Asian woman if you're a super hot Asian woman. Sure, yeah. See, that's the thing. She was wearing, like, the loose coveralls and, you know, not a ton of makeup. And I, I mean, not that she's not, you know, attractive in Her character ways. was not acceptable, Mike. <laughs> if you're going to be, like, an engineering-type woman, you have to wear the miniskirt. You right. have to have, like, the Catholic schoolgirl yeah. thing going on. Yeah, she was wearing a jumpsuit, so yeah. that's not acceptable yeah she was dressed like an actual professional Mm -hmm. which a woman can't be that's true how do you not know this 
It's identity episode. Yeah. Women can't be professionals except for teachers, nurses. Thank you, nurses, right now, by the way. Doctors, etc. Holy cow. And teachers and nurses. What else? Child care providers, housemaids, uh, sex workers. Mm-hmm. Anything else acceptable? You can be a receptionist. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so cosplay is fun. Yeah, cosplay is rad. You should try it. <laughs> And no, you don't have to be sexy version of anything. No. But you can be if you want to be. Yeah. So if if things get back to normal by Halloween, knock on this table here. Santa Cruz, where we live, is a really cool place to come for Halloween. And for me, I embraced Halloween as a kid. Like starting around age five, I was always a fairy princess. I was going to say godmother, but that's not correct. <laughs> I was a fairy princess for several years, which I think meant two or three times, but you know, I was always a fairy princess. And for some reason, it wasn't until my adulthood that I started to see fairy princesses with wings. Because to me, a fairy princess was a princess with a magic wand. Okay. That's the whole point. Your magic wand means you have all these powers. Like, I don't think it occurred to me that a fairy princess yeah. is a fairy. <laughs> Just to the empower. I always knew that. I don't. I don't know. You know. I thought I was a smart kid, but like, apparently not. In Cinderella, she has wings. That's a very godmother. Very godmother. But that's not a princess. That's true. Yeah. No, she's homely and, and old. <laughs> she's like this side of a hag, which is what happens when women get old in Disney. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they survive. Yeah. Because they tend to die if they're a mother. That's true. Or, anyway. <laughs> Right. So we should probably wrap this up. Yeah, we've got some other subtopics here, but we've realized that a lot of these could probably merit their own entire episode. Yeah. Um, so we have done the thing where we've curated, to use an overused word, <laughs> some really bad jokes. And it's we, what we do. Yeah, it's our like our signature thing is to tell really bad jokes. So in the bad joke segment, we would appreciate it if you score us. So follow along at home, do play this. You can go to our Facebook page and later and tell us what score we earned. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way this goes is if our joke makes you laugh, we have earned three points. If our joke makes you groan, we have earned two points. And if your response to our beautifully curated joke is silent blinking, as in you didn't get it or you just it was so dumb you couldn't respond, you were just shocked into stupor, I don't know, then we still get a point because we... Spent we some time. We always get points. It's yeah. only fair. I mean, we're not even being paid for this. So. It's just a matter of how many. Correct. Points. So three points for laugh, two points for groan, one point for no response. So Mike, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. So, okay. I'll tell you a coronavirus joke. Okay. But since we're social distancing, I don't think you'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is also a coronavirus joke. Mm-hmm. So... So it's day three without sports casting. I found a lady sitting on my couch yesterday. Apparently she's my wife. She seems nice. <laughs> you know what they're saying about 2020? What? It went viral faster than anyone thought it would. Oh. <laughs> so I went to the chemist today and asked the assistant, what kills the coronavirus? She replied to me, ammonia cleaner. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you worked here. <laughs> Because I'm only a cleaner. Right. Oh, you got it. Got Sweet. It. Okay, that was two jokes. Yeah, <laughs> one more. Do you remember the good old days when people used to cough to cover a fart? Now they fart to cover a cough. Oh. <laughs> All right, here's my last one. Okay. My body has absorbed so much soap and disinfectant lately. Now when I pee, I clean the toilet. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> okay, so please find us on social media. You can find us by looking up Mondays with Mosey on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We have a whole single photo on Instagram. Oh. 
We could add yeah. a second one. We should, could. Should we add a picture of our cats? Maybe. Ooh, people get excited about cat pictures on the internet. Yeah, that's true. That's what I've heard. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell your friends, your enemies, and your frenemies about this podcast. You can email us, mondayswithmosey at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your positive feedback, positive only. Mm-hmm. negative people you can just stop listening and go away yeah this is not the podcast for you if you don't like it if you don't like it it's not yours yeah uh also bad clean jokes clean because this is a family show mm-hmm. and for this episode interesting stories about cosplay and other aspects of identity yeah so for now stay home watch out for toilet paper hoarders and be nice to your housemates bye bye